So we're going to start a new series this morning. This is kind of a, an introduction, and it's called Unoffendable, and it's written by a guy named Brant Hansen. And it's really, I would recommend it. We're, we're just going to hit a few main points. There are 23 chapters, but there are only three more weeks of it. So what does that tell you? We're skipping a lot. But if you want to read it, really, really good book, and it's actually kind of a fun read. It's not a... Uh, sometimes, you know, you recommend some book on theology and people are, all, as soon as you say book, they're like, you know, out. But really, this was just kind of a fun one. If you, if I mentioned on Facebook that Curly was talking about this morning, if you're more of an audio book person, I, I own both. How sad is this? I bought the book. I wasn't finding the time to read it fast, as fast as I wanted to. So then I went and got the audio book for free. And uh, for free, it was a promotion that Audible was doing. And uh, listened to it in the car. So I drove to San Angelo and Abilene and Dallas and wherever and heard the book. Uh, but the audio book is really, really good. So if you're somebody who, you know, drives 30 miles into town all the time and stuff like that, you might want to get that and throw that in your car. Really, really good. And I do recommend, because we're not going to touch on everything that he says that's really, really worthwhile just for, for time's sake. And so go get it. Besides that, I just don't intend to come up here and read you a book. That's just not what we do, is it? Uh, so uh, I, do, I do highly recommend that. If you want even heavier reading, uh, by heavier I mean challenging, uh, there's another good book by a guy named Ed Stetzer called Christians in, in an Age of Outrage. Also, excellent, excellent book. He takes it from a different angle. This is talking about our character and our heart, and that's what we're going to look at the next few weeks. Uh, how can we humble ourselves so that we're not always just so easily offended and easily angered? Because being easily offended, Paul says in Romans 14, we'll look at, is a weakness, not a strength. Uh, be, being easily angered, Scripture tells us, is not only a weakness, it's, it's sinful. And so these are things we struggle with. They're things we need to deal with. How can we get there? This book is talking about that. How, how, do, we, how do we actually do that? How do we become people who are not offended Every time, you know, somebody does something we don't like or does it differently from what we prefer, that's more often, uh, or whatever, even if it's really, really wrong, how do I not just get angry? How do I actually be Jesus in my reaction to things that go on around? So that's what this book's about. The other one looks at it from a missionary's perspective. And we're all missionaries, every last one of us, supposed to be. And he looks at it from the point of view of how can I even talk about the tough stuff that might really be right and wrong. How do I do that in a way that's kind, respectful, and, and react to stories that are going on in the news in a way that instead of driving people away from Christ, would actually draw them to Christ? And so it's a, a different angle and, and, and just, as, just as much a needed angle, just, just different takes on the same, same problem. So one of the things that Brent Hansen talks about in his book is this idea that we all have in our heads... Uh, the, of righteous indignation or righteous anger. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of all the people who think that righteous anger is okay because everybody thinks it's okay. Okay? All of you think it's okay. And, and, and if, you, if you don't think that it's okay, give me five minutes. I'll say something here in a few minutes that will make you righteously angered. And you'll say, oh, okay, well, I guess it's okay. It's not. It's not. I'm tricking you there. It's not okay. But... We all think so, right? And uh, Dallas Willard, Christian author, uh, put it this way. He said, everybody believes that their anger is a righteous anger. Everybody always believes that their anger is a righteous anger. He then goes on to talk about that anger is one of the biggest 
uh, weak points in Christianity in our time. That our inability to, to handle anger in a godly way, to dissipate anger among groups and people and between people when there's conflict, is one of our biggest challenges and one of our biggest failures. And I would tend to agree with him on that. Uh, so I was afraid Carly was going to give me an illustration a few minutes ago when he started saying that I like to do these songs that give honor and glory to God. And if you don't like it, and he paused. How many of you went, oh, he's about, he's about to pull a James. Don't do it, Curly. Don't do it. <laughs> so, you know, but we just we can be offended by a lot of different things. And the truth is there are people who are offended by songs of praise to God, and they call themselves Christians. Now think about that for a second. A Christian who's offended by the way another person worships. Does that make any sense? Well, it doesn't, but some of the, even the lady who said it has done it, I bet you. Now, I'm just kidding. I knew who it was. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but, but we do sometimes. We, we, we get offended the song was too fast or too slow or too new or too old or too, too, too English. I, I really wanted mi Dios cuan fuerte. Again, I'm going to keep badgering, badgering him on that. Next time I go to Guatemala, I expect Curly to come and sing the fast version in Spanish. That's, that's what we're hoping for, shooting for. But, you know, we do. We get, we get offended by all kinds of things. And churches split over these offenses at times. And if you don't think that that matters... You've got to understand, the world watches and the world sees and the world goes, I don't want to be a part of a church that's constantly at each other's throat over things that I can't even understand why they care about. And a lot of those things you know, that people fight and fuss and, and gripe over are the things that you'd go, why, why do they even care about that? But it happens all the time. And it's not a new problem. Okay? It, it started right out from the very beginning. It's because it's a work of the devil, and he's always going to try and undo God's work. And he tried to undo the unity in the church right up at the very beginning. And so Romans 14 has written to address some of these problems. The church in Rome was having some issues. We don't, it, what the issues were really for this morning it isn't really even the important part for us. It was just that they were, they were having these issues. And that some of it was over things they could eat or not eat. Some of the questions they had were legitimate questions. Some of them were pretty serious. Uh, but it, the bottom line was, Paul said, listen, you guys are getting upset about things that are matters of opinion and at most just matters of conscience. Now, we would say, ooh, matter of conscience. Well, now, wait a minute. If it's a matter of conscience, I have a right to be righteously angry about a matter of conscience. And we think we have a right to be angry about matters of opinion. But it isn't true. You know what Paul said about opinions? He quoted Al Gore and said, put them in a lockbox. No, he said, he didn't quote Al Gore. He said, shut it down. When it comes to your opinion, don't even go around telling your opinion to everybody. Now, how many of us would run out of things to say within five minutes if we stopped talking about our opinions about what goes on? Right? We are not good at this. The only verse that we violate more is... Complain and grumble about nothing. Philippians 2.14. And you know why we break that one so much? Because we can't stop sharing our opinion. That's why. We just break this one right and left. And he said, just keep it to yourself. Why did he say that? It was practical, wasn't it? Because how often has your opinion gotten you in trouble? You say, my opinion never gets me in trouble. My opinion gets other people in trouble. I think you're in trouble. That's the thing. 
I think you're in trouble. We're all in trouble. And we just have a hard time with that. But Romans 14, he writes this letter and includes this section to say, guys, you get angry about things with your brothers and sisters you shouldn't be angry about. It's actually okay if you do one thing and he does another. Or if she does one thing and you do another. That's actually okay as long as it comes from your conviction of faith. If you're doing it to please the Lord, that's fine. How many church splits might have been solved if we had really held to that principle and held to that attitude that I love you, I don't agree with you, but I can love you. And we don't have to do this the exact same way. Wouldn't it have been incredible? Wouldn't it have been an answer to the song that Curly just led? We pray that our unity would one day be restored. Well, that's not going to happen unless we actually put this stuff into principle. Now, before we go look at the passage, quote one of my favorite theologians again, this one time, Peggy Hill. But aren't I supposed to be... This is not really a quote, but I'm about to quote her in a second. Aren't I supposed to be offended when I see somebody do something that I don't think they're supposed to be doing? My quote of Peggy Hill is, sounds like somebody's got a case of the spostas, right? Aren't we supposed to do that? Where I see somebody and they're doing something that I think is wrong. I walk into the church building on Sunday morning and, and I've never been to that church before. And I walk in and they have in their foyer people walking around with it in cups, multiple cups. They are, y'all know what I'm talking about, multiple cups of decaf coffee. Now, I find that offensive. I find decaf coffee offensive. It has nothing to do with the cups. has nothing to do with being in the foyer. It's decaf. And if the Lord wanted decaf, He'd have made decaf bushes. He didn't do that, did He? So, we know the will of the Lord. Full strength. Bring it on. Okay. But, really and truly, I walk in and I get offended by that. Why did I get offended? Well, I'm supposed to. We don't do that at home, and they're not supposed to do that here. And if we didn't do it, we don't do it at home because we know that we're doing everything right. And so if we don't do it at home, then it must not be right. Therefore, you are wrong, 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 right? And so we get offended. We get mad. We get angry. We, we might even stomp off and leave. Let's make one harder. A friend of mine traveling up in the Northeast. You go up in the Northeast. You walk into a building. says Church of Christ. He walks into a building. It says Church of Christ. Everybody is nice to him. Everybody, they hand him a bulletin. They got, hand him a bulletin so he knows they must be biblical, right? So they got a bulletin. Hands him a bulletin. They got wood pews. The, there's no stained glass in the window because stained glass would have offended him. And there's none of that and all of that kind of stuff. He goes in. He sits down. And they play. Oh, no, they didn't. My brother said, it may say Church of Christ on the sign, but it ain't no church that belongs to Jesus Christ. That's what he said. That's what he said. Okay, I'm not getting in. I realize I've opened a kettle of worms, but they're your worms. The, the, the thing is, you can have a strong conviction on that. And I would not mock your conviction. You can have a strong conviction on that. Fine. Romans 14 is going to tell us what to do with that strong conviction and how to handle it. They stomped out and refused to worship with their brother and sister. We're studying on Wednesday nights the, the origins of the restoration movement in America, which brought about all these churches of Christ all over the country. And they had to deal with this issue more often than we do. And you know what their answer usually was? 
There were exceptions, but by and large, you know what their answer was? They worshipped with their brothers. They said, I don't believe like you believe, and when I'm at home, I do not practice that. But I'm still going to call you my brother. And they didn't force either one their opinion on the other. You know why? Because the whole movement was started because they believed that one day our unity would be restored through graciousness. And I just broke my glasses. <laughs> well, you all seen what I do with them. It's not really a big surprise, is it? As the second pair this month. Anyway, the, I wasn't even mad or anything. I, just, I don't know what, what's happening there. So the, they would just worship together, love each other. They might, they might even have a debate later. They might pull together a debate. And, and try to hash through the issue. But they would debate respectfully. And eventually the debates became a little bit more angry. But that's because of the spirit of offense that Satan's always trying to stir up within us. But in the beginning, it was a respectful disagreement because they had decided that the Spirit of God was one that was not supposed to be so easily offended. And they got it from passages like this. Romans, this is going to be fun. Romans 14, how does this work? Wow! Break the other one off and hold them up there like a monocle. I can read that. As for the one who is weak in faith, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. So first off, brother shows up and might be easily offended by something that you think is not offensive. Believe strongly from the word that it is not offensive. What do you do? Well, if he doesn't like what we do, he needs to get out. That's not what he just said, is it? It's not what he said at all. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. You got a difference? Welcome each other. You disagree on this? Welcome each other. Now, I think there's also a built-in assumption all the time that both sides at some point or another are going to be the stronger and the weaker. So you get to take turns welcoming okay, on different issues. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. Do not what? No fighting, no arguing, no quarreling, no dissension, no discord over your opinions. Not even strongly, deeply held. you got 16 passages written over in the margin of your bulletin about why James is wrong on that issue. No discord, no arguing on opinions. Verse 2, one person believes that he may eat anything. That was what they were dealing with. Could you eat food? Uh, could you eat meat at all? Could you eat meat if it had been previously owned by a heathen? You know, there was, that was an issue. Can you have a pre, previously heathen-owned hamburger? One person believes he can eat anything because it all came from God, was his idea. It's all from God. Everything's a gift from God. I'm just going to receive it, thank Him, and eat it. Okay? That's probably where most of you fall. While the weak person eats only vegetables. See, the Bible says the vegetarian, that's weak. You've got to eat some... Be- no, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. I'm teasing, and I just offended three people. But... What, what he's saying is there were people who were so offended by the idea that they might possibly get some meat that was used in a sacrificial thing there in Rome that they just would abstain altogether. They just said, I'm only going to eat vegetables because I don't want to take the chance that somebody worshipped a false god while they were barbecuing this cow. Okay? And so it was an important, it was to them, it, I would say for us it's hard to, it's hard for us to relate. Okay? It really is. But I'll tell you what, when I go over to Cambodia, this becomes an issue friend of mine from Indonesia, when he goes to visit his parents, 
who still worship, and they, and they don't just use meat. They, they involve sometimes the bananas and the oranges and everything else in sacrifices to ancestors. And he has to deal with, is it okay for me? Am I, am I giving legitimacy to a false god by sitting here and eating this food that was, that was blessed with this particular purpose and for this purpose? And he really, people wrestle with this still. Okay? There are parts of the world. It's just hard for us to relate. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. That's the important part for us, isn't it? If somebody thinks they have a freedom to do something, you're not sure we have a freedom to do. What does he say? Don't you despise the brother who does what you can't do. Wow. That changed some attitudes and hearts, wouldn't it? You don't despise a brother just because they may think that there's a little more freedom than you think there is. And this is all in the realm of opinions and convictions. Uh, things that we've had to discern from silence fall into this realm. Okay? Things where God is absolute and very clearly stated don't fall into this. But things we're having to discern by inference fall into this realm. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Neither side gets to judge the other, for God has welcomed him. That's a good image, isn't it? The reason that we can't sit there and exclude is because God has already told them, you come on into the family, you're mine, and I want you here. And so anybody who shows up at the door and says, now wait a minute, if you don't, if you don't look, sound, and act just like me, I don't think you're welcome here. You're going to get a tap on the shoulder by the God, Lord God Almighty going, excuse me, I said He could come on in. And we don't really want to be in that position, do we? So Paul says, hold back your judgments. Bear with one another. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? The NIV says, who are you to judge another master's servant? It's a good question, isn't it? It's not our job. It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able... To make him stand. So then we ask, wait a minute. So I can't pass judgment. I can't get angry. I can't kick the guy out. But sometimes we're good. We're good Bible scholars when we're trying to get out of something, right? Sometimes I remember God was angry, right? God was angry at Babylon. He was angry at Israel. He was angry at Judah. He was angry at at Balaam with the donkey. There were lots of times where God was upset. And Jesus, I remember Jesus getting upset. He went over to the temple and he flipped tables and he got a whip. He chased those guys out of there. So surely, surely, if I'm supposed to be holy as God is holy and I'm supposed to be perfect as God is perfect and I'm supposed to walk in Jesus' steps, i got to be angry and flip a table every now and then. Right? This is one of my favorite things from science. George is getting upset! So then we start saying, I can be angry. I can be righteously indignant. And sometimes God wants me mad. And doesn't that sound fun? Not really. Not really. Well, is that true? Do we have a right? This is the question that Hanson is asking. Do we actually have a right to be righteously angry? And he challenges us in this. And man, I wish I hadn't broke my glasses because you have no idea how small the print is on my slides today. It's unbelievable. We're going to try this. This is why we only do audio for the podcast right here. This is bad. Okay, I'm going to read. Wow. I'm going to read what he said and try this. Another fair question, and one you're likely asking, but isn't God allowed to hold on to his anger? Doesn't Jesus get angry? And there's something in that question, especially the way he worded it. 
isn't God allowed to hold on as angry? What do we ask? Why would we ask that? If God's allowed, then who else might be allowed? Well, maybe I found a loophole. This is what he says. He says, my well-read, thoughtful, theologically nuanced response to this is, well, yeah, of course, God can hold on to anger. He says, yes, we will get angry. That happens. We're human. But then we have to get rid of it. God has allowed anger, yes, and other things, too, that we are not. Like, say, for starters, vengeance. That's His, and it makes sense, too, that we're not allowed vengeance. Here's one reason why. We stand as guilty as whoever the target of our anger. Think about that. We are as guilty as whoever is the target of our anger. We're just guilty of other things. So what right would we have? What standing would we have to stand in judgment of another master's servant if we're just as guilty as the person we're angry at just for something else? Oh, man. I think he got us. So he goes on. But what about God? He isn't. He isn't as guilty as we are. For that matter, God is allowed to judge too. And we're not. We can trust Him with judgment because He is very different from us. He is perfect. We can trust Him with anger. His character allows this. Ours doesn't. See, the thing is, Jesus could go into the temple and did go into the temple. And He judged what was going on there because of a few things that simply don't apply to us. Whose house was it? That's number one, isn't it? Whose house it was it? He says, my father's house is to be a house of prayers, and you have made it into a den of robbers. Whose house was it? It was his dad's house, and by that extension, it was his house. He had the right to say who was in it and whether or not what they were doing was right or wrong, good or bad, appropriate or inappropriate. When we come in, we treat this like it is whose house? We we act like it's our house, don't we? Do we act like it's God's house? Or do we act like it's ours? Quick test. You walk in. One of the first things you notice is the temperature. Do you respond to the temperature as if it's your house or God's house? Why isn't it as cool, hot, steamy, dry as I like it? Right? None of us are sitting there going, I wonder if God is pleased with 70 degrees. He must be. I heard that's what heaven's going to be like. But none of us are really concerned with that, are we? We start acting like our house. Are the seats the way we like them? Is the temperature the way we like them? Are the colors the way we like them? Are the, you know, going back into the things we do. Is it fast enough, slow enough, high enough, low enough as I like it? And we're not, none of those concerns have anything to do with God whatsoever. But we get offended, right? We get offended. Go back to the, I'm joking about the decaf and the cups and the foyer and things like that. Well, he would have never allowed that in the temple. Did you know that in the book of Deuteronomy, when it talks about the tithing, if you live too far away, this is pretty cool, if you live too far away to bring your cattle up for the tithe, cattle and and goats and things that you would have tithed to the temple, that he instructed them, you live too far away, it's not going to be convenient, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to sell your cattle and you're going to, the ones that you would have, have offered. You're going to sell those and you're going to bring the money and you're going to go to the grocery store. You're coming to Jerusalem and you're having a party. He said, you're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to buy whatever kind of food you want. He said, and this is going to get some of y'all offended, but he said, you can buy 
You can buy beef. You can buy goat. You can buy vegetables. You can buy... He even said that they could buy... And I'm not kidding. He said you could even buy beer. It's right there in the Bible. I'm not making it up. He says you bring that to the temple and I want you to eat that in a fellowship that I am hosting. God said, come on into the house. We're going to have dinner and we're going to have a party and you're going to celebrate your Thanksgiving and you're going to celebrate your worship not through the sacrifice but through the fellowship, and you're going to bring that. Is that wild? So God might let more into His house than you would. It's His house. He can do that, right? Well, Jesus in the temple that day. It's His house. It's His Father's house. He had the right to judge. If we showed up and started flipping tables, we'd look like fools. Because every one of those people there owned one of those tables could have said, well, now you act like you're all high and mighty, but I saw you yesterday. No right to judge. Just as guilty on different grounds. Right? Just as weak on different grounds. We, just don't, we don't have that right. But there's even more to that. There are other passages that we can look at. Ephesians chapter 4. This is one we would go to and say, that gives me the right to be angry. It says right there, be angry and do not sin. Right? This is the ESV. Be angry and do not sin. So you say, right there, James, I found it. It says, be angry. And... If you're following a new version, this is what I wrote in there. Now you're going to make me go all Bible geek on you. We're going to have to look at the Greek. And the Greek is not necessarily in the form of be angry, get angry. What's actually happening here, and you can go look up a good article by a guy named Bill Mounts, who's a leading Greek translation guy and has written some really good books on learning biblical Greek. And he said, I struggle with this passage, this one right here. He said, because the verb tense is a little vague, and this idea of be angry and don't sin can be translated two ways. One way is be angry, but don't sin. And the other one is anger's going to happen. When it does, don't sin. He's not sure, he, he struggles with which one of those is correct. But here's the deal. He goes on and talks about where this phrase comes from because Paul is not making this up and it's not original to Paul. When it says be angry and do not sin, it is a quote of Psalm 4, verse 4 where David, in talking about the judgment of his enemies, says, God sick them. And then says to himself, be angry, but don't sin. So, this is David telling himself to be angry. Looking at what Mounts, and I won't get into everything he said. I can point you to the article if you want to go read it for yourself. Uh, but looking at what he said, looking at the origin, and looking at the context, which we'll look at a little further here in a second, this is what I think Paul is probably doing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, over and over again, uses this little rhetorical device. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, anyone who hates his brother is guilty of murder already in his heart. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look onto a woman to lust in your heart, you, have all, you are already guilty of adultery. And he does this over and over again. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And I think Paul is probably doing the exact same thing. You've heard it said from David. You've heard it said, be angry and do not sin. But I say to you, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If that's what Paul's doing, not only is this not permission for us to just go off half-cocked in the name of Jesus, this is actually a rebuke of the idea 
a changing of the idea, a teaching and a massaging of our understanding to help us see we're going to be angry. But when we do, we've got to learn to deal with it in healthy ways and quickly or Satan's going to use that. And I really believe that's what he's getting at. And I got a couple of these out of, out of order, so I'm going to jump ahead. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, he goes on, same context, same context, and says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. If anger is something that we're supposed to have, why is in the list of things we must rid ourselves of? Would that make sense? But if Paul is saying, you've heard it said... Be angry, but don't sin. But I'm telling you, you've got to deal with your anger in healthy ways quickly. It fits right in, doesn't it? It fits the context. It makes total sense. Let all anger, bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Man, we don't like giving up our right to anger. But here's the reason why we probably should. Be not quick in your spirit. This is Solomon. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. We just let anger just take up residence in us. Move right on in. Build a wood cabin. We're fools. That doesn't sound like something that God is saying, yeah, you can do that. Just make sure that you do, you're angry for the right reasons. It's not what it sounds like, is it? You can be angry over ungodly, truly ungodly things where you would say, but surely that's right to be angry about that. You can be angry about that and it leads you to an unhealthy bitterness, hatred. All hatred is born of anger. You know where it's going. You can't be in love and in anger at the same time. You become a fool. It's dangerous stuff, isn't it? So God would never direct us yeah, go ahead, nurse it a while, it'll be fine. Proverbs 16.2. This is one of the reasons that Jesus can do the temple and we can't. We know Jesus' motives were right and just and pure. And ours, even when it's over things that are true, right, and wrong, our motives aren't always right. That's why Paul will in Galatians say, when you go to your brother and you need to correct them, he says, but watch yourself. Watch yourself. Because you're going to be tempted. Maybe not to do the same thing they would do. You may be tempted to be judgmental. You may be tempted to be harsh, self-righteous, righteously indignant. He says you watch yourself and you go to them gently, not angrily, gently. You may believe that you're doing right. We often do. When it's over those issues of silence and when it's over those issues of differences of opinion and conviction, we feel like we're on the Lord's side, Right? And so we're ready to swing the sword for him. He didn't tell us to do that. You may believe you're doing right, but the Lord will judge your reasons. That ought to keep us in check, shouldn't it? I may think I'm doing right, but I need to ask the Lord, God, is this really right? Am I really going about this the right way for the right reasons? And if you're going about it in anger, you already know the answer, don't you? No. You're not going about it the right way and for the right reasons. Not in anger. So, where do we even start? If we're going to actually be people that are less offended and who, who, who are, are not full of this mythological righteous anger, how do, how do we start getting better? We're going to look at it for a few weeks, but here's where I think we start. Romans 12, 17 to 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought 
to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. However you're going to handle being mistreated or seeing something that is wrong or something that you're convicted is wrong, before you do anything, you think and pray and meditate on what's the honorable way, honorable to both sides, what's the honorable way to handle it. It's not going to be to fly off the handle. It's not going to be to go write an article. What's it going to be? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, even the people with whom you disagree, even the people with whom the, uh, you have, or by whom you have been hurt. Yeah, live peaceable with, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. How often did he say you get to avenge yourselves? Never. Never. That's tough because that's our, that's our flesh coming out, isn't it? This is the human thing to do. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now, that is Paul saying, listen, God will take care if it's a genuine wrong and you've been truly hurt and what they did was sinful and it should never have happened. You, God will take care of that. Do you trust Him? Because He will. Vengeance is mine, the Lord says. I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him. Well, now, wait a minute. I wanted to be righteously angered. And you're telling me to do what? Make him a bowl of chili. That's not what I do when I'm angry. Is that what you do when you're angry? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that is not Bible for I get to, I get, to get revenge by being good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what you do if you love him may actually start eating at his conscience. So that he or she starts to say, man, I know why I did to them wasn't right. I don't know why they're still being nice to me. Makes people think. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Do we believe God can actually do that? Can you imagine the town and the family and the church and the, the workplace where that starts to take root? Where every offense is answered with good, answered with forgiveness, answered with grace, answered with love and with patience. Because that's what he's trying to get us to. And I don't know about you, but I've got a long way to go on this. But this is, this is what he's calling us to. And it's not our natural inclination, but it's the inclination of the Holy Spirit of God. It's what he wants us to be and what he really wants us to become. It's a whole different world when it's like this than what we see every day. But it's a better world, isn't it? Let's stand and let's sing.